Welcome to this week's episode of Getting on the Green, your real estate podcast with your host, Craig Merlin. On this week's episode, we have an international guest by the name of Jeff Good, or Good, depending on uh, which country you're in. Uh, he told me that uh, most of the Costa Ricans, uh, I guess I just gave away where, um, which country he's from, but he said most of the Costa Ricans just call him Jeff Good uh, because he's damn good at what he does. Uh, so to give a little basic intro onto who Jeff is, he is an Alabama man. Um, he was born in Gunnersville, Alabama. He went to University of Alabama, but then his uh, story kind of changed. But I'm going to let him tell you about that. So uh, before further ado, welcome, Jeff. Thanks for being on the show. We appreciate you being here with us. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me. I've, I've been looking forward to speaking with you. Yeah, so so tell us a little bit more about yourself. So what happened... Uh, during or after uh, University of Alabama? Sure. Uh, my family is traditionally a military family, so uh, like most of my forefathers and a lot of my family, I joined the military. and was stationed overseas in Germany, and we were called to duty with the 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment. And uh, I was actually shot in Desert Storm in 1991. Uh, two purple hearts during that war, and I was eventually re medically retired in 1998 from the military. 27 surgeries to date, and I wanted something to do, so I've done many things in my life, and I picked up real estate about 20, I don't know, 23, 24 years ago, and did it on off and on a little bit, and I've traveled internationally. Uh, I own a professional dark corporation with my three other partners, so we have a pro tour in North America, and I live in Costa Rica for seven years now, and I've been doing real estate there for seven years. We do residential and commercial. So it's, it's actually fairly interesting. I've, I've mentioned it on my show before, um, how real estate is basically for everybody. There's not too many things that everybody can have their hand in. And real estate truly is for everybody. And it doesn't matter if you got into it early in your life, later on in your life. You know, there's there's things to learn. And sure, once you it's always a process. But, you know, once you get into real estate, you can be successful there if you do it right and you learn from the right people and, you know, you have um, the right assets behind you. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about what you do now in Costa Rica. Sure. So when we moved to Costa Rica, we, we moved there for residential. Uh, there wasn't a lot of commercial going on because of the crash of 2008. And over the last three years, uh, Peter and I, he's uh, the broker owner of Crane had been doing commercial prior to that in Chicago and things, and we noticed the needs. So we transitioned from doing strictly residential, and we joined up with a great international uh, global association and NAI Global, and they're the third largest commercial brokerage in the world now. And we formed that partnership almost two years ago. And we found that to be very, very beneficial to us. So now we're doing residential and we're doing the commercial side. So tell me about uh, what brought you down to Costa Rica. Uh, the, the good weather and the surfing. Uh, what, so what, what brought you down there? Strangely enough, Peter and Sarah are great friends of mine in Chicago already. We were already working together and enjoying uh, friendship. And they wanted to move down and give their kids some a different way of life, a different perspective on how to grow up and the way life is. And so they moved down. I came to visit a couple of months later. They were like, Jeff, we're so busy already. Do you want to move down? My kids are grown. I get to see them and the grandkids every now and then when I, because we're spread around the country. And so I said, sure. So just a few months later, I moved down. I'm a permanent resident of Costa Rica. And 
because they've been there seven years. All right. So how? Tell me about uh, the real estate market in Costa Rica. Uh, is it anything like the United States, or you know, how does how does it work down there? Yeah. So real estate in Costa Rica is very much like the United States. There are some some differences. So there's no title insurance in Costa Rica. It's Spanish law versus English law, and so there are some differences there. One major difference that a lot of Americans and Canadians have difficulty with with Costa Rica is it is very common for an agent and a lawyer to represent both parties. So the lawyer, because he is the notary on each transaction, he's required by Costa Rican law to make sure that both parties are treated fairly. So he has a, a beholden duty to both parties to make sure that Andrade's action is 100% fair. So, so real quick, whose lawyer is that? Is that a mutual lawyer or does one party come to the transaction saying, hey, we're using my lawyer and it's now our lawyer or how does that work? So typically, the depending on the area you're in, closing costs are split 50-50 anyway. There are some areas where the buyer pays 100% of the closing costs, with the exception of commission and uh, taxes. So the purchaser, the buyer, is the person who chooses the closing attorney. So that's the person who's going to do the transaction and through the closing, and they're going to work with the escrow company. The seller can choose to use their own lawyer to make sure that they're fully protected, and then they would just pay for their lawyer. Okay. Um, so tell me a little bit about the competition down in Costa Rica. Is there a lot of investment competition from, let's say, outside countries and then, let's say, the United States? Or let's say outside countries, including the United States, and then let's look at within Costa Rica. Sure. So I would say right now, as far as investing in residential, about 85% to 90% are international clients are coming out of the U.S., out of Canada, out of Ukraine, out of the U.K., France, Italy, a lot of different countries. And so how is the competition from residents within Costa Rica? Are there a lot of, you know, is, do, do a lot of Costa Ricans invest their own money like you would see Americans investing into real estate? Or is it mostly international? I mean, you said that for residential, but like, let's, let's talk about commercial. Uh, is there a lot of internal investment from the Costa Rican citizens, or is it mostly international as well? So inside of Costa Rica, within the country, there is quite a large percentage that do invest in Costa Rica, and that is in commercial real estate, or they've had land that their family has owned for years that they are either developing or they're going to actively sell for development. But typically, most of the Costa Rican investment companies are all partners of some degree. Mm. So there's not okay. typical that there's one particular person or one particular company that's going to do all that investment. There, there are a couple. Garnieri Garnier is one of the largest in Costa Rica. Now, that's one firm. It's owned by a family. But they do have shareholders and things like that. But most of them uh, are going to be international investors, yes. So let's let's look not necessarily only in Costa Rica, but let's talk about international investing, for instance. So I like what you said where um, a lot of the properties are owned partially by a Costa Rican company as well. 
Um, is that something that you would suggest when um, investing internationally is finding a local partner and basically having them have some skin in the, in the game as well? It can be beneficial, and there's large parts of Costa Rica that is required for that to happen. Oh, okay. So there's only a few areas that are beachfront, and it's called the Mahoney Line and a maritime zone that most of those properties are held in concessions. And that's a 20 or 99 year concession, typically 20 that the government has deemed usable, but they have to be developed within certain parameters. And on those concession lands, it actually has to be owned 51% by a Costa Rican. Oh, wow. What? So as you, as an international developer, if you wanted to come in and participate and be part of that concession piece of property, Normally what you do is you will go in a percentage with the landowner that you're purchasing from, and then you would also bring in typically your trusted lawyer, and between the two Costa Ricans, they would own 51% and you would own 49%. Understood. So it's very common. There are ways to protect yourself now legally to make sure that they can't sell it off. You can have it uh, a limited liability corporation or associate on anonema here. And both of those can protect you where it requires all four signatures or all three signatures to be able to sell that piece of property. Okay. So uh, historically, um, at least over the last, let's say uh, 50 to a hundred years, foreign investors like to park their money um, certainly in the United States. Why would somebody who, for instance, has the opportunity to invest in the United States, why would they invest in Costa Rica, for instance, or in an international place? Sure. So investing internationally provides you a lot of things that inside the United States doesn't. Uh, part, part of that is taxation. So the taxes are different here. You're more protected. You're protected as a landowner here, especially with title property as well as concession property but also it provides you a place to go that you normally don't get to go. So a lot of people, they'll purchase a second home so that they can spend part of their time overseas, and then they can use Airbnb or other companies and make money on it. So when they're not there, they can at least make enough to, to pay their house, themselves back on the house. Okay, so now the uh, tough question. Is it safe to park money in Costa Rica? Sure. So there's always groups out there that you can look anywhere on Facebook and you can find them. They will tell you it's easy to buy. It's hard to sell. And that, that is true depending on the areas you're in. And I'll kind of give you a story in a second, back that one up a little bit. But most of the areas that we deal in, and one reason we recommend having a licensed real estate agent, and there's no licensure in Costa Rica, but we maintain our license in the U S. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. And so, to know those areas, to know the properties that are able to be resold is vital to be able to park your money overseas as well as know the market enough to be able to find a property that's going to make your money back or at least break even for you. Okay, so what does uh, Costa Rica do that either incentivizes or guarantees that an investment is going to be safe for an international uh person or even somebody within Costa Rica? What what does the country do to guarantee that or incentivize people? Because I know that other countries, especially in the Caribbean, definitely give incentives um, to have certainly Americans invest, but foreigners invest as well. Sure. With the new 
that are going on now, such as COVID-19 and things, they're actually talking about implementing some new ones in Costa Rica and bringing a few things back. One thing that Costa Rica does very, very well is they're tourism friendly and then it's title property. Unless you're buying a specific concession, it is title property. While there's no title insurance, what happens in Costa Rica is everything is registered into a national database. That's called the National Registro. And that property is titled in your name and typically in the past has been held in a corporation. So it's held in your corporation. You own 100% of those shares of that corporation. And that's registered in the National Registry. And it also comes with what's called a Plano Catastrophe, which is your landlines. So basically, it's exactly what you own. And to be able to transfer that, a lawyer has to be able to go into the system and they have to show legal paperwork for the transfer of that. So that's the way, really, instead of having a title, per se, it's registered in the National Registry that you are the legal owner of that piece of property. One great thing that Costa Rica is doing, and they're talking about lowering this amount a little bit, is a lot of people these days are seeking potentially some residency overseas, a way to exit plan necessarily from the UK or Canada or the US if the possibility of something like this continues to grow or, or gets bigger or something else comes along. If you purchase in Costa Rica $200,000 or more, you can apply for your residency immediately upon closing the house. And even if you've never even been there? You, you, even if you've never been there. Wow. You're going to have to come here eventually. You're going to have to get some <laughs> fingerprints in Costa Rica. Yeah. A, a few things like that. But yeah, it, and you before you had to be here six months a year. Mm -hmm. And that is no longer, the, no longer the fact. It's actually on a one day a year now once you become wow. Permanent resident of Costa Rica, so it's there's a lot of values to that. No long lines at the airport; you get to go through uh, the shorter lines where the residences are and things like that. Cheaper flights inside the country if you want to go to visit different areas of national parks are one tenth of the price of what it normally is to get in. Plus, hotels and rental cars are cheaper. So there's a lot of things to be said, but the bonus to that is you're welcome into the country at any time because you're a resident. Yeah, that, that definitely seems like an incentive uh, to have new money become or new money coming into the country. Um, so I know that you're not a lawyer per se, but talk to me a little bit about the contracts. Um, is it, that's obviously the business is being done in Costa Rica. So is it governed by Costa Rican law, or is this international law, or is this American law? Where where's you know when it really comes down to it? Because as we know. Um, real estate has disputes, you know, so when there's a dispute, who is deciding what is going to happen? Sure. So 90%, unless it's for, it's a Costa Rican or different for national, the purchase and sell agreements are all done in English because we have a lot of English speaking people, of course, that are purchasing. When it comes to the closing. It is all in Spanish. So your lawyers will have to go through you at closing, potentially line by line, and explain what all these are. Now, typically, they're very straightforward as Spanish law, but there are clauses in there where if there is a dispute that occurs, it is common in Costa Rica that that will go to an arbitration court here in Costa Rica. So Costa Rican court system will decide any, any uh, disputes. Okay, and would, let's say in this dispute, uh, would the 
let's say I'm a principal. I'm in Miami, Florida. Um, would I then have to go down to Costa Rica to deal with this dispute or am I allowed to send a proxy or, you know, let's say for instance, you who represented my side in the purchase or sale, whichever. So another great thing about Costa Rica being Spanish law is you don't even have to be a country to close on your house, to buy it. You never even have to have stepped foot into the country. They are very savvy. In the last two years, they've started allowing electronic signatures using DocuSign and other companies. And you are allowed to do a proxy or power of attorney to your lawyer or your legal representative. And that could be me as your representative uh, agent to be able to represent you at any arbitration hearings as well. And you would be able to call in witnesses as well. Okay, so let's uh, talk uh a little bit about the actual purchase and sales process of Costa Rica. Is it the same as in the United States or are there extra steps or less steps? So it's pretty amazingly simple like the U.S. It's pretty close to the U.S. Uh, there's not many companies that are doing loans here, so typically it's mm. cash or they're using a HELOC or something like that back in the United States to get the cash here. So on a basic process let's say you're purchasing a house you make an offer we write up the offer we submit it to the seller we come to terms of agreement in that terms of agreement will be everything that's listed down but there's going to be an escrow company and one of the biggest escrow companies that uh, we use is secure title uh, latin america it's stla and, and they actually adopted their name a little bit but they are based out of the United States from secure title in the United States. It's just their Latin American arm of it. Mm -hmm. And so we do use an escrow. So once that PSA is signed, we will do an escrow of 10 days. You'll be able to fund the escrow. Typically that escrow is anywhere from five to $10,000 on a $200,000, $250,000 house. So not even quite 10%. Quite often we're about two and a half to 5%. And then it goes into a due diligence period. That due diligence period is about two to three weeks, can be longer depending if it's a business or not a business. And the lawyer goes through everything. So he goes all the way back into the records as far as he can find back into Costa Rican records. They do all the electricity bills, the property taxes. They make sure that it's fully going to be purchased by the new buyer and it's going to be free of all liens, all encumbrances, no taxes owed, no electricity owed, and they do a $1,000 holdback typically to pay any electricity for the last month's bill. Once up to the end of the escrow date, till 5 p.m. on the close of business of the last day of escrow, that money is fully refundable for whatever reason if the buyer wants to back out. So even the last day, I have had one buyer in seven years come to me on the last day and say, hey, I, I, do, I can't do it. I, the other money didn't come through. I can't do it. We sent a letter to the seller and to the seller's uh, representative and his lawyer and said, look, unfortunately, he's not able to complete the transaction. He, he received his escrow money back five days later. And no, no questions asked, just like, shoot, it didn't work out. Here's your money back. Correct. I, wow. Occasionally, you will have a seller who tries to create a little bit of an issue, but there's really nothing they can do because in the contracts and the purchase and sell agreements, it states that they are refundable for any reason whatsoever. At the end of that escrow date, it becomes a firm escrow and it becomes a seller's if they back out after that. And typically, one to two weeks later is when we do a closing. So we can close it in 
30 to 45 days max yeah. on a closing. That's quick. And, and, and that's on residential or commercial? That's on residential. Okay. Residential only on that. Commercial is a little bit longer depending on what the business is. Mm-hmm. So I just closed on Leaves and Lizards. Uh, it's a nine-room boutique hotel, plus they have two other buildings that the sellers were occupying that will be turned into rooms. And that one took me about nine months because there's a lot you had to do with CAHAS, uh, CCSS, which is their insurance, welfare, social security program here in Costa Rica. It's a little bit different on the commercial when you have a business side because you have to contractually hire and fire one of those employees. And when you fire them, you had to pay out what's called Aguinaldo, which is however long they've been there for so many years, so many months paid per wow. year. And all that has to be calculated and signed off. So it's a very lengthy process. Now, this one was a little exceptional uh, because of COVID-19 and the reduction in workforces. So really, it takes about 90 days, maybe up to 100, 180 max for a closing on a business like a hotel. Wow. Um, so, I mean, it seems a lot like you know, the same process that you would get right here in America. Um, it actually seems from what you described that you might actually face more litigation in America than you would in Costa Rica. So, Correct. So one beautiful thing that is uh, about Costa Rica is it's not a litigious country. So there's typically almost no liability lawsuits. In fact, most of the liability lawsuits get laughed out of the country. Um, it was kind of a wild, wild west when I first moved there. As I said, there's no licensure for that. And over the years, the Costa Rican government is getting closer and closer to a licensure, but they're also taking steps to protect consumers, the buyer-seller, as well as government and taxation. So what's happened is to be a real estate agent in Costa Rica, so any lawyer, escrow company, or agent that is in Costa Rica that does real estate, we have to be registered with SUHEF. And SUHEF is sort of like the IRS, but it's the part of the government that handles the legal portions of finance there. So to be to do that, I have to have a corporation. I have to have a thumbprint registered for my corporation. I have to be a permanent resident of Costa Rica, and I have to register with SUHEF. So that's the big one now for them to protect everyone involved. And then I had is to register with SUHEF. And the big thing with registering with SUHEF is even though we pay an escrow company to do a KYC and know where that money is coming from, based on I'm registered with SUHEF, I am as responsible as the escrow company for ensuring where those funds are coming from. Okay, so you talked a little bit about this sales process. Um, being that I am a uh, sales associate in Miami, so uh, a commercial broker down here, um, talk to me a little bit about the differences that you would have, for instance, being a broker here versus being a broker in Costa Rica. Are you still you know, doing cold calls and sending out mailers or things like that, or is it, is it a different sales process for you? For us, it's a, it's a bit of a different sales process. There's not really anywhere to mail anything out. There's not really cold calls. Our only cold calls really would be to sellers to say, hey, we're NAI Global. We want to represent your property, and we have over 7,000 agents and over 400 offices worldwide. 
it's basically our only kind of cold calls that we do. We use a lot of MailChimp campaigns. We do use service uh, point to homes. It's becoming one of the largest in the world for residential as well as some commercial now. We reach out. We use Crexy. We use SIOR. So there's several things that we use to be able to do that. And a lot of it is networking with other agents like yourself. One of the things that we do find in Costa Rica that's much easier than in the United States is we are allowed here in Costa Rica to be able to give referral fees. So a referral fee for us is very simple to give 25% just for somebody sending me a client. And that because there's no licensure, that's not required in Costa Rica to mm-hmm. be someone who is licensed in the country. So we are allowed to give a referral fee to a guy on an ATV who refers a client. <laughs> and and just for the listeners, so you all know, the, the major difference between that and in the United States is the only way you can get a referral fee without being licensed is if you're involved in the transaction. So unless you're involved in these transactions, you know, you're not really seeing anything unless you're a broker. Whereas in Costa Rica, from what we just heard, you can get it just like you said, if you're on a ATV and you say, hey, go see this guy. And there you go. You just made some money. Um, so, so that's interesting. So so tell me a little bit about working for an international, um, I guess, brokerage while in Costa Rica. Does it give you any more, you know, does it legitimize you? Does it you know, help you out with the locals versus, um, you know, international investors? Talk a little bit about that. What is What does it help you with? So really it helps us with brand of value and a branded value is huge here in Costa Rica in San Jose, which is the capital, a very large metropolitan area. They actually call it the GMA greater metropolitan area. There's a lot of big agencies. There's Collier. There's some other agencies out there, but they only stay within their small bubble within San Jose. There's no exclusives there. What we do with our international branding from NAI is we take that and there's been so many people trying to sell property for so many years on large pieces. We give them that value of the international true branding. Like I said before, over 400 offices worldwide, over 7,000 agents that we can get that piece of property to. And they've never had that. They've only had agents who really have never done commercial before, typically. They've been a residential agent in the U.S. and moved to Costa Rica, and they think they can do it all. And what we do is we show them the actual value of that international marketing mm-hmm. and that we can bring the clients to the table that way because they've always been told, okay, look, I'm going to market your property, and you're going to pay me $3,000 so I can do photos and to get it out here and to get it out here. We can go to them and go, look, we're going to share in this with you. If it costs $3,000, we're going to invest 1500 in this with you. So we're going to have an invested portion in that. But the NAI Global brand definitely gives us that branded name to be able to take to the table that is recognized worldwide. So so hold on. So you're a part of NAI Miami or, or I mean, NAI Global or? Correct. So NAI Crane Costa Rica is a commercial brokerage that we are branded with NAI Global. So we represent all of Costa Rica for NAI Global. But then I thought NAI was only a commercial real estate. Are you doing residential too? Yeah, so we do residential. Like I said a little bit earlier, we, we actually started seven years ago residential only. That's been our specialty in the area. We have the most transactions of anyone else in the area. We only hire licensed real estate agents in their home countries of the U.S., Canada, wherever they're from. 
and we built upon that we have four offices in Guanacaste that function very well and our transaction rates are very high. All right, that sounds interesting. So basically to kind of wrap this up, let me let me ask you a question about uh, South and Central America. How is the risk of other countries, for instance, Venezuela, Argentina, Colombia, even Mexico, and the issue, Uruguay, like, it seems like each country, every however many years, has its own issues that greatly affect the other countries. How do these countries affect Costa Rica? Or let me back, back that up. Do these countries affect Costa Rica? And if so, how? So there, there's always something going on in one of the Central or South America countries that is volatile. And one of those volatility factors is typically the government backed by the military or opposed by the military. So Costa Rica hasn't had a military in over 50 years. They have no military? military no military whatsoever. Wow. So there's no additional cost that the people are paying for for military, which then it doesn't create that strife and turmoil. So Costa Rica is very stable. Tourism is only 8.1% of their GDP. Now, in the coastal areas, it's much more than that. Mm-hmm. Accounting San Jose and the rest of the country, it's only a small portion of the GDP. So realistically, the other the rise and falls of Nicaragua, Panama... Uh, Venezuela, Belize, and things don't really affect Costa Rica greatly. We're one of the hottest commodities over the past six years and continue to grow, 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 whereas other people are up and down. Uh, I work with a company in Belize, Hand in Hand, uh, that works with international living and living in best overseas. So we all kind of cooperate very well, but the economies and the ups and downs of the governments really doesn't affect Costa Rica much. Okay, so this wasn't a question that I was going to ask, but as a military man, how is it? What do you think about having zero military in a country? For instance, well, I mean, especially, I mean, Pura Vida is, you know, the the motto of Costa Rica. So, you know, that's like love life, you know, just chill, relax. Um, So, as a military or an ex military retiree, um, what what do do you think about that? Yes. It's taken me a little bit of getting used to because you're used to having that backup, that kind of security blanket of things. So moving there, I was a little bit worried about it because you do have Nicaragua. It's a little bit volatile to the north. Panama has had volatility in the past. But once you're living there and, and being in Costa Rica, you truly see that it's Puerto Vida. Even uh, some of the poorest people who lose their jobs in tourism during the green season and fluctuate and everything, they still hold that poor meter. And so there's really, honestly, no reason for a military. Uh, there's there's five different type of police forces from your basic tourist force all the way up to your GAO, which is SWAT. But it's just one smooth flow, and each part of the country takes care of themselves. There's only seven provinces in the country, and they all have their uniqueness for all seven of them, and it's all poor meter. Wow. Well, Jeff, this was an awesome, uh, I guess, it was awesome talking with you about this subject. I mean, I really don't know much about international investing, so this gave me a good idea as to kind of the differences that I would see going out of the United States, although I've traveled to Costa Rica many times, and I love it. Uh, It's incredible. Surfing's amazing. Fishing is amazing. I caught the biggest um, bull dolphin there that, like, 
I've ever caught. And it was it was incredible. I loved it, and we ate it that night. Oh, it was incredible. I loved going down there. Um, but I mean, the, the next information. Time you come down, next time you come down, my wife and I and two of our friends, some brokers out on Long Island. We just bought a boat, Boomerang Tours. We'll take you out for free. All right. Thank you. I, I might just have to take you up on that because uh, I loved I loved going down when I did. Um, but thank you very much for talking to me. This was awesome. Um, first and foremost, we appreciate your service to this country. That is the you know biggest thing out of all of this. But you know the information that you gave us t- today was excellent as well. And I really wanted to thank you and appreciate you taking the time out to speak to both myself and our listeners. Thank you. Anytime. All righty. That's the end of this week's episode of Getting on the Green. This is the second to last episode of this season. Uh, look, I look forward to next week's episode. It should be a great wrap-up for our first season. And then we will move on to the second season where we'll see some new guests, new topics, and a couple of interesting new segments that I think you'll all enjoy. So make sure you like, follow, and we'll see you next time on the green.